What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Clips Convo Show, a podcast by the Sporting Tribune. I'm your host, Joey Lynn. And again, I'm bringing you the episode a little bit later in the day, but today it was because the Clippers actually played at four o'clock. I could have gotten the episode out before. I actually thought about it, but I think on game days, uh, now when I plan on recording a pod, I'm just going to do it afterwards because there's too many times where certain things happen throughout the course of the game. And I kind of wish that I would have saved my pod for afterwards because I give you guys my thoughts in the morning or the afternoon. And then a game happens, a bunch of crazy stuff goes down. And then I don't talk to you guys again for a week. I prefer to do it after. So I think I'm going to start doing that uh, going forward. If you like it, you know, let me know. If you don't, maybe I can try to figure something else out. But for now, I think that's what I'm going to do. And you probably already saw the title at this point. We are asking the question, what is next after the Clippers did not land Kyrie Irving? We initially didn't think the Clippers were going to even be in the mix for Kyrie Irving. And then in the middle of their game against the Knicks, Woj dropped a bomb that said they are indeed interested. And then the Athletics Law Murray, my guy who covers the Clippers over at the Athletic, dropped another bomb, an even bigger one than Woj's, that said the Clippers had already made a strong offer for Kyrie, which indicated that they're not only just in the mix, but they're actually really trying to pursue him. Now, there's been different uh, levels of speculation over the last several days, whether or not the Clippers were actually that involved. You have some reports saying, I don't really think they were all that interested. And you have other reports, like the one that came from Law, that said, well, no, they actually did indeed make a strong offer. From what has come out since then, the offer looks to have been Luke Kennard, Terrence Mann, draft compensation, and a salary filler because just Luke and Mann alone don't amount to the salary necessary in order to bring Kyrie Irving back. Now, who was that salary filler? Well, we don't exactly know. It could have been a number of different guys, and perhaps that was some of the holdup. Maybe Brooklyn wanted a guy like Norm in that salary filler spot, a guy who was going to provide actual win-now value whereas the Clippers were instead trying to throw in uh, one of their other perhaps expiring contracts that doesn't exactly provide the same win-now value that Brooklyn wants with them trying to keep KD and build around him once again. So that's what happened with the Kyrie Irving situation. Me personally, if I'm going to be honest, I thought about actually recording an emergency pod to talk about just Kyrie Irving after the Knicks game and after Woj's report. I was in on it. I'm going to be completely honest. I was in on it. Initially in the offseason when the Clippers were linked to Kyrie Irving, I was not in on it. And the reason was that I thought this Clippers roster as currently constructed or at that time as presently constructed had what it took to win a championship if they just put the pieces in the right places. But now over halfway through the season, I'm a lot more skeptical about that with this current roster. And I felt that the Clippers had not been good enough till this point in the season to not explore adding a talent like Kyrie Irving, even with all the drama that he brings and even with the potential difficulty of getting him to buy in long-term. I just felt that the Clippers needed a true talent upgrade and Kyrie Irving was going to be that guy or at least the best option in terms of strictly looking at talent. And again, I acknowledge the fact that he is who he is, meaning that every single team that he's been with, uh, it's ended poorly. Of course, Cleveland got a championship, but he eventually asked out of Cleveland. Uh, Boston never had much playoff success, and then he asked out of there. And then now with Brooklyn, same thing. Only one playoff series win with Kyrie Irving, and now he has once again asked out. So it is, of course, reasonable 
to be skeptical about Kyrie Irving's fit with your team, regardless of how well you think your team might be constructed uh, around him if you were to bring him in. That said, though, with everything that has gone on with the Clippers this season and with Ty Lue reportedly being a fan of bringing Kyrie Irving back, I was in on it. I thought it was uh, worth the risk considering where the Clippers are at right now in the Kawhi Leonard and Paul George era. The the future with these two guys is is not going to be that long when you look at their injury history and you look at their age. Uh, we don't know exactly how many more years of peak Kawhi Leonard and Paul George the Clippers are going to get. This is already the fourth season that these guys have been together. Of course, they've only played two and a half with Kawhi missing uh, the entire year last season. But 2019-20, second round exit. 2021, of course, they make it to the Western Conference Finals and Kawhi gets hurt. Last season, they missed the playoffs entirely with Kawhi being out all year. And then now this season, they've been kind of hovering a few games above 500 and kind of at 500 at times throughout the course of this season. So because of that, I did believe there was enough urgency necessary to pursue a Kyrie Irving trade. But if the asking price was too steep and the Clippers didn't want to part with what I think would have been an overpay when you talk about Luke, Terrence, and Norman Powell, if that's what it would have required, then I understand why the Clippers didn't want to do it. But then again, now we circle back to the title of this podcast. What's next? The Clippers didn't get Kyrie Irving, but I can assure you they are going to do something in between now and Thursday's deadline. I really hope it doesn't happen while I'm recording because that would be kind of the story of my life when it comes to hopping on this podcast and crazy things happening while I'm recording. I really hope Woj can just at least hold off until tomorrow because I want to get this episode out tonight and have it at least be relevant for one night before things start changing. But when you ask the question, what's next? For the Clippers, I think we kind of know at least the direction that they're trying to head towards, and that's going to be an upgrade at point guard and somebody to fill the backup center role. The Clippers have pretty much gone away from both Moses and Musa over this road trip because uh, while I do believe Musa has some utility as a switchable backup five, it's tough to expect a rookie to play high-level rotational minutes against some of these better opponents that the Clippers have been playing. I would like to see him get more of a chance than he has thus far, but I understand why the Clippers are hesitant to throw a rookie, a second-round pick out there in the mix of things. And we've seen Moses Brown, who, again, I've talked about a lot. He battles, he plays hard, but he has his limitations, and you can't exactly rely on him either. So that's a position of need for the Clippers, that backup center role. The other position of need, at least amongst the Clippers organization, what they believe, and you guys already know how I feel about this, that's a point guard. Now, it's really interesting because I've talked about it on this podcast. I asked Ty Lu a month or so ago when Reggie Jackson was first removed from the rotation and Terrence Mann took his starting spot, if there was ever any consideration of the Clippers going away from a traditional point guard entirely. I asked if that was something they had considered at all with them going away from a traditional point guard in their starting group. And as you guys know, Ty Lue said, no, I prefer to keep one in. And he threw in that bit about him having a soft spot for point guards because that's the position that he played when he was in the NBA. And he's pretty much held true to his word since that moment because while John Wall has been out for multiple weeks now with uh, his abdominal strain, Reggie Jackson has remained in the rotation and that has been through a lot of ups and downs in his play. He's struggled a lot at times. He's had some better moments, like tonight was a decent game from him, although I do think 
Uh, there were there were some questionable plays that he made, but you still you take the good with the bad on a night like this, or the bad with the good, I guess I should say. And he was probably more good than bad tonight. And I think the plus minus and other things uh, reflect that. So Reggie has been up and down, but regardless, he stayed in the rotation. Whereas other guys like Luke or Rocco, some of the guys who have kind of been on the bubble, it feels like they have a much shorter leash. And I think the only reason for that is because Reggie Jackson is, as always, fingers in quotes, a point guard. And that's why he's been able to stay in the rotation with such a long leash from Ty Lue. Now, if Ty Lue is dead set on playing a point guard, I think it is the belief of 99% of the fan base, and I would anticipate the front office and even Ty Lue himself would also subscribe to this belief that the Clippers are not good enough as currently constructed with their point guard rotation to be a championship contender. And that's even with Reggie Jackson playing the way he did in this Nets game, which was a lot better than he played in some of his other games. A point guard rotation of Reggie Jackson and John Wall in 2023, in my eyes, and I believe in the front office's eyes, is not good enough to win a championship. Now, could you argue that the Clippers could survive those two guys getting spot minutes and leaning a little bit further into Terrence as a lead guard, Norm as a lead guard, giving Luke an opportunity to have lead guard minutes? Yeah, you could probably make that argument. But Ty Lue has shown no real indication that he is going to actually lean into that. Because even with Terrence Mann taking over the starting role, Ty has not trusted him to close games as the point guard. We have seen that time and time again. Terrence Mann either playing very few minutes in the fourth quarter or playing zero minutes in the fourth quarter. And oftentimes, if he is getting fourth quarter minutes, they are paired with Reggie because Ty Lue wants, again, fingers and quotes, a traditional point guard out there. And if that's the case, the Clippers need to upgrade at the position. I have held the stance for weeks now, honestly, for being honest, for years now, that the Clippers don't need a traditional point guard. But if Ty Lue is going to continue to play one no matter what, they need to make an upgrade at the position. And that is why I am now of the belief that they, one, will, and two, need to go get a point guard at the deadline. And that's kind of me conceding at this point because you guys know for weeks I've been saying they don't need to do that. But I think it's a little bit different now with me saying that they do need one. It's not because that I don't trust Terrence Mann and Norman Powell and Luke Kennard in the same way that I have for the last few weeks. It's because Ty Lue doesn't, at least with the ball in their hands. So that's why the Clippers are going to need to make an upgrade at this spot because Ty Lue has proven he will play a traditional point guard no matter what. And if your two traditional point guards are Reggie Jackson and John Wall, you're probably not going to go very far, even with the best version of those two guys at this point in their careers. So what does that lead us into? Well, who are our options for point guard upgrades? You could throw out backup center. Oh, we need a backup center. Oh, we need an athletic wing. Oh, we need a point guard. We need all these things. But until we start actually looking at some real candidates, we don't know how realistic it is to make an upgrade at those positions. And since we're talking about a point guard, well, let's take a look at who some of the options are. I believe the top candidate for most Clippers fans is going to be Fred Van Fleet from the Toronto Raptors. My last episode was a pretty exclusively 
about Fred Van Fleet. I probably spent over half of my last podcast episode talking about him, titled the episode about him, and ultimately came to the conclusion that I'm against a deal. And I'll circle back to that in a second. Then you have a guy like Mike Conley, veteran over at Utah, who, you know, at this stage of his career is not the guy he once was, but still could potentially provide some utility uh, in just cutting Reggie's minutes or taking Reggie's minutes would be uh, probably something that most Clippers fans would be down for. And I think the organization uh, would potentially like to explore as well. Then you have a guy like Kyle Lowry. I'm going to get into each one of these guys and the individual cases for all of them, but spoiler alert, I'm a hundred percent out on Lowry. I'll get into why here in a moment. I just think it would be an awful, awful decision for the Clippers to make. And then you have a guy like D'Angelo Russell, who again, uh, I think is kind of in the in the Fred Van Fleet category where Clippers fans would really like to have that guy, but the price just makes it really difficult. I think D'Lo even more so than Fred. So circling back to Fred, because that's who I started with. And again, I don't want to spend too much time on him because if you want my in-depth thoughts, just go back and listen to my last episode. But although he's been playing better of late, and he has been playing better of late, because, I mean, overall, it's been a rough season for Fred. His shooting numbers are way down. Uh, his minutes are still about where they have been for the mo- uh, for the majority of his career, but it just hasn't exactly been uh, the level of production from him this year that Toronto has grown used to over the last few seasons. The scoring is still about the same. He's averaging 19.7 points per game, but as I've talked about so many times, he's shooting under 40% from the field, which is quite concerning uh, for a guy who is going to be playing next to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and, of course, isn't going to be taking 16 shots a game like he is right now, but you're still going to need him to knock down uh, catch-and-shoot threes, maybe some off-the-dribble threes. You're going to need him to do certain things that, so far this season, he hasn't exactly been great at only 34.4% from downtown for him. You do get some improved playmaking over a guy like Reggie Jackson. Fred's averaging six and a half assists per game. Gives you a little bit of rebounding, four and a half rebounds per game. Uh, and his defense, it's not quite where it's been when he was at his peak, but for a guy his size and at his position, uh, he's not a bad defender. So Fred Van Fleet would certainly be an upgrade over what the Clippers have right now. But the problem is that we have gotten reports, and I believe there's real reason to believe they're accurate, that the Clippers cannot get Fred Van Fleet without including Terrence Mann. And the Clippers do not want to include Terrence Mann, and for good reason. Terrence Mann is their own developed young guy. I think there's some reason to want to hold on to him just because of that, that he has grown up in your system. He knows your system. Uh, In a lot of ways, Terrence is the culture. He was the guy who lifted the curse in game six. And he was the guy who, you know, was a lot of people. Again, I hated this comparison, but a lot of people compared him to Shea. I I did not like that comparison. But when you just talk strictly about a young guy that the Clippers drafted and developed, there is that sort of attachment kind of like we had to Shea, where you have your own young guy that shows promise early in his career and then has his breakout moments and you get super excited about it again. I don't like making that comparison. So many people do, and I think it's ridiculous. Shea's a superstar, and Terrence is is really good, but he's, he's not that. So there's a lot of sentimental reasons to want to keep Terrence around. Me, personally, I don't think that's enough to keep a guy when a better option is on the table, but I don't think that's the only reason that the Clippers should want to keep Terrence. I think that he actually provides a lot of different winning qualities that Quite frankly, you wouldn't even be able to justify parting ways with 
for a guy like Fred Van Fleet. Maybe Fred a few years ago when he was uh, an all-star, that was last year he was an all-star. Maybe you could justify it for that. And I want to avoid overrating Terrence because I think some people can fall into that as well. I'm not saying that he's as good as Fred Van Fleet, but I'm saying the winning plays that he makes, the defense that he plays, the connector that he is in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George lineups, I think that fits this Clippers team better than a lot of people realize. And I would personally have an issue parting ways with that for Fred Van Fleet with the type of season that he has had this year and then with the contract situation that he has coming up, which is I went pretty in-depth on that in my last episode. I'm concerned about the Fred Van Fleet contract situation because he can become a free agent at year's end, and then you risk one or one of two potentially bad scenarios, and I think both of them are bad scenarios. Either you lose him for nothing after parting with probably Terrence, Luke, and maybe even draft compensation in order to bring him in. You risk losing him for nothing, Or in order to not lose him for nothing, you overpay him. And now you have bad money on the books going forward. I'm kind of out on that. You guys know if you listen to my last episode why that's the case. So when you're talking about a package of Luke, Terrence, maybe a young guy and a future draft pick, I just think that's too steep for what Fred Van Fleet uh, would provide if the Clippers can somehow get him without having it be that expensive then yeah i'd kind of get on board but again he's just not the type of guy that i think the clippers need he's six foot one he's a small guard doesn't finish well at the rim he's really not finishing well from anywhere right now this season and i know people have talked about his minutes but that's kind of where his minutes have been over the last three four seasons so out on fred even with his improved play over the last several games. Maybe my mind could be changed if the package isn't what I anticipate the package being, but for now, still out. Moving on now to Mike Conley. He is uh, a very interesting one. I've talked about him on the podcast quite a bit as well. I'm still pretty much out on him because I just don't think that he, again, similar to Fred, provides what the Clippers need. But I do believe he would be the most inexpensive, which does have value when you're talking about trying to make a deal for a starting point guard or a backup point guard, whether, you know, depending on how they want to continue to use man going forward. Price matters at this point with the Clippers. You're really trying to pride themselves on depth. Price matters, but I do have some concerns with Conley. Uh, A lot of them are the same type of concerns that I had with Fred Van Fleet, starting with his shooting, it has been a pretty close to a career low from downtown uh, this year from Mike Conley. He's shooting only 36% from deep. The last time he did that, last time he shot that poorly from deep uh, was back in 2016. So about six seasons ago was the last time that he actually shot this poorly from deep. Actually, if I'm looking at it again, 2018-19, he had uh, the same clip that he has right now. So it's been about five, four or five seasons since uh, Mike Conley has shot this poorly from deep. He's actually been uh, around 40% the last two seasons. He was an all-star in 2021 with Utah when he shot 41% from deep, Uh, had another good season last year, shooting 41% from deep, down to 36 this year, which isn't horrible, but I really like to see the guy playing next to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George shooting closer to 40 from downtown because of how many catch-and-shoot opportunities they get. Terrence Mann is only at 37% so far this season, but his catch-and-shoot percentage has started to climb 
over the last few weeks. He has really started to knock those down. Even his off-the-dribble threes have been over 40% for a while now. So I just am more comfortable with, one, Terrence's ability to knock down catch-and-shoot threes, but also Terrence's ability to attack hard closeouts, get inside, get his head above the rim. I do like Terrence alongside Kawhi Leonard and Paul George in that starting group. So if you were to make a deal for Conley, my hope would be that it is going to slot him in to that backup center role, or excuse me, backup center. Hopefully he's not playing backup center, that backup point guard role. And he is taking minutes uh, from Reggie or, or taking Reggie's role entirely. You could probably talk me into that. But again, you still run into some of the same issues that you have with Fred Van Fleet. Mike Conley is only six foot one. I'm not a big fan of small guards. I'm not a big fan of, especially with the way that this team is constructed and some of the issues that we've seen. If he is playing off the bench, he would probably be playing next to Norman Powell. To me, that looks like a disastrous defensive combo and one that I really do not want to see try to guard opposing benches. You got some of these guys like Jordan Clarkson. I mean, gosh, like a guy like Cam Thomas we saw tonight. You're going to see some of these guards coming off the bench in the playoffs. Of course, not a guy like Cam. He's in the East, but you guys get what I'm saying. You see some of these guys coming in the playoffs, and if you're having a Norm and Mike Conley backcourt out there, you're probably in trouble against some of these shiftier guards that are coming off teams' benches, and that's really where I probably would would rank my concerns when it comes to Conley. It's going to be his defense uh, in a norm pairing and then his shooting. Cause I, I do think next to Kyle Leonard and Paul George, his shooting could probably start to pick up. Uh, but his defense, I mean, not at, not at age 36, it's not or 35, whatever he is now is not going to just magically uh, reappear. So that's my concern with his play on the court. And then when you talk about his contract situation, it's also pretty concerning. He is owed uh, $22.6 million this season. He has a $24 million contract for next season as well, which is partially guaranteed at $14.3 million. So you are on the hook for at least $14 more million next season for age 36 Mike Conley. That's not something I'm comfortable with. So, again, out on him, although you could probably, again, similar to Fred, talk me into it at the right price and the right role. Moving forward now to Kyle Lowry. You guys heard me talk about it uh, when I previewed these point guards. I said I was 100% out on him. I've admitted to being able to be talked into both Conley and Fred. You cannot talk me into Kyle Lowry. There is nobody that would be able to talk me into Kyle Lowry. I mean, just absolutely not. He is 36 years old, shooting 39% from the field, 33% from downtown, and he is making a ton of money. It is about as disastrous of a scenario as you could possibly think of when you're talking about going and getting point guard help. Kyle Lowry is making 28 million dollars this season at age 36 he will make 29.6 million dollars next season at age 37 and it is entirely 100% guaranteed actually yeah it is looking at it it is 100% guaranteed 29.6 million dollars guaranteed for Kyle Lowry next season that is next season he has already showed a steep decline this season and having to pay him nearly $30 million for next season is disastrous and something the Clippers need to stay far, far 
away from because strictly from a salary standpoint, it's going to require at least some sort of a decent package to bring him back. Even if you're just giving up Reggie, John, and let's say Rocco to try to make it work or Luke to try to make it work. One of those other guys who aren't making minimum money, but are also not making max money. It would require one of those guys. There isn't a single guy on the roster right now that I would trade for Lowry straight up. There, other than maybe John, just because he he hasn't played well and he's been out for so long. But again, even then, it's not even worth talking about because it doesn't work salary-wise. That's the one that the Clippers need to stay away from. If they do that, it'll be a nightmare. So don't got to say a whole lot more on that. You guys get where I'm going. The final option is D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo Russell, in my eyes, would probably be the best option just in terms of who he is as a player for this Clippers team. D'Lo is still only 26 years old, although he'll be turning 27 uh, February 23rd, so he'll be 27 soon. But he's having a very solid year for the Minnesota Timberwolves. I am admittedly not a huge D'Lo guy, or at least in the past, I have not been a huge D'Lo guy. Uh, I watched a ton of Minnesota last season. I actually watched uh, every single Timberwolves game when Pat Bev was there because I'm a huge uh, Pat Bev fan. I watched every single Timberwolves game last year. I was not a fan of D'Angelo Russell. I just didn't like his game. Kind of felt like he was an inefficient shot chucker. Only 41% from the field last season and 34% from deep. Does give you some playmaking with seven assists per game last season, which uh, was a career high for him. But again, like I said, I wasn't a huge fan of his game. He has turned me around this last few weeks. He really has. I've been watching, again, a lot of Timberwolves games because, one, I, I like Anthony Edwards, and, two, I've been trying to keep on, keep an eye on D'Angelo Russell since the Clippers have been, at least in some reports, linked to him. He has really turned around my opinion of him. He's averaging 18 points per game, six assists per game, an efficient 46% from the field, and 39% from downtown, which is a career high. He's pretty close to career highs uh, in, in a lot of different categories. His scoring isn't quite a career high. He was a 23 points per game with the Nets, or at least that, that was partially. Uh, he was 21 points per game with the Nets, and then I think 23 points per game that entire 2019-20 season where he uh, switched teams and went over to Minnesota. But it has been a heck of a run for D'Lo so far this season, especially over the last few weeks where he has improved his play significantly. And I've been watching a lot of that. So in terms of just who he is as a player, I would be very much in on bringing him to this Clippers group. Now, what's the catch? Well, he's not exactly available right now, or at least I don't believe he is. We have seen his name thrown around in different trade rumors, and we have seen him connected to different contenders. But unless I've missed it, I don't think we've seen an actual reputable source report that the Minnesota Timberwolves are trying to shop him because the Minnesota Timberwolves have been playing some great basketball lately. As of right now, I'll pull up the standings for you. The Timberwolves are 29 and 27, not great, but they're seven and three over their last 10. And currently they sit just one and a half games behind the Clippers for the fourth seed, just two and a half games behind the Kings for the three seed. So I'm very skeptical about this notion that the Wolves are major sellers. 
I really don't anticipate that being the case. A lot of people have looked at Nas Reed as a potential candidate. A lot of people have looked, of course, at D'Angelo Russell. But, I mean, this is the team. They're ahead of the Warriors in the standings right now. They're tied with Dallas in the standings, a percentage point behind Dallas, a half game behind Phoenix. Like, this is a team that theoretically could still get home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs. So I am very skeptical about D'Angelo Russell being available. And if he was available, I think he would by far be the most expensive option. And I don't even know if the Clippers would have the package for him because he's a dude and he is playing really well this year. So I just don't anticipate him being available. I really don't see it happening. Um, So I would love to have D'Angelo Russell on the team. Again, I think he would be the best option just in terms of a player fit. But I'm not exactly holding my breath because I don't think he's going to become available. So where does that leave us? If I'm out on Fred and I'm out on Conley and I'm out, I'm really out on Lowry and I don't think D'Angelo Russell is going to become available, where does that lead us? Well, if you were to ask me even a week ago or a couple weeks ago, I would have said, well, it's going to be the same answer that I've been saying for weeks. You just play your best players. You put the ball in Terrence Mann's hands. You put the ball in Norman Powell's hands. You put the ball in Luke Kennard's hands. And you let those guys run your point guard duties. Deep down inside, that is still my answer. But for all of the reasons that I've talked about on this podcast, with Ty Lue showing a true reluctance to go away from a traditional point guard, I do think the Clippers need to make a move. When it comes to those four guys, I've talked about a willingness to get talked in to two of them because D'Lo it's a different category because I you don't have to talk me into him I'm, I'm, I'm definitely in on bringing him in but I just don't think it'll happen if I had to pick from that group I'm settling on Conley and here is why one I think he would be the cheapest two I think he would demand the least prolific role just in terms of what it required to bring him in, you're not exactly going to be demanded to just slot him into the starting group the same way that you would with Fred and certainly with D'Lo. And I think his skill set is an upgrade, a pretty substantial upgrade over Reggie Jackson. And the main reason why I believe that is because Mike Conley, although I I don't even like the fact that I'm settling on this because I've been so anti-Conley for so long, he is a savvy veteran when it comes to making plays. He's 7.6 assists per game to only 1.7 turnovers, so he doesn't turn the ball over a whole lot. He never really has throughout his career. He's always been a high assist guy. I do think his shooting would come back at least closer to 40% playing alongside Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And I just think in a limited role, he would provide the type of utility that you would hope for in your backup point guard. And the only reason I'm saying this is because I seriously feel forced into landing on one of those guys because I'm not really sure if there's anybody else available. My ideal scenario would be not trading for a point guard and instead leaning more into the guys that they already have, not named Reggie and John. But we've already been shown time and time again that that's not going to happen. So I think the Clippers are going to make a trade for a point guard. 
And I hope they're able to get Conley without having to give up Luke because I do think the Clippers would certainly not give up man in a deal for Conley. I would hope they wouldn't give up Luke, although I'm a little bit skeptical uh, with just kind of the way that his uh, standing in the rotation has developed over the last several games. I think it just kind of the writing feels on the wall with him. I hope I'm wrong because I love Luke and I hope he gets to stay. Um, I hope they would be able to get Conley for some package of expirings, uh, maybe a future pick and a future young piece. I hope that's enough. And if it is, sign me up. If it's not, I, I really would would say no and find some other direction to go. Because one, even with Conley in a limited role, you're still going to have to deal with the pairing of him next to Norman Powell at some point. And as great as Norm has been, real six-man-of-the-year candidate in my eyes, his defense is so bad. It is just so bad. And when you pair him next to another poor defender, whether that be Reggie Jackson or a guy like Mike Conley, it creates some disastrous lineups. So Tyler would probably have to figure out something when it comes to maybe pulling Terrence out early, having Conley run with the starters, or just starting Conley, and then having more Terrence and Norm minutes in that bench backcourt and staying away from that Conley-Norm pairing. I think it's possible to do that. And that's what I would like to see Ty Lue do if the Clippers end up with Conley. I'm still against it, just strictly from you know, looking at it w- without all the context that we have right now. When you talk about just acquiring Mike Conley for this team, I'm against it because of like all the things I've talked about with who he is at this point of his career and him still being owed guaranteed money next year, although it's not nearly as much as a guy like Kyle Lowry. So for all those reasons, I'm against it. But if you were to force me to choose from Fred, Conley, Lowry, and D'Lo, I'm landing on Conley for all the reasons I just talked about. If you were to make me pick one player out of there and we get him for free, it's of course going to go D'Lo, then Fred, then Conley, then Lowry. But that's not reality. It's simply not reality. I could, as we've already talked about, be talked into Fred as well. But we already have a report out there that says they can't get him without Terrence. So unless that changes, I'm out on that. So that's where I'm at currently. I feel I feel nasty conceding that. <laughs> I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. I feel very gross having to finally concede uh, my ever so long stance that the Clippers should not trade for a point guard. But you guys have listened to this pod. You know where they're at. You guys have watched the games. You guys have heard Ty Lue in the post game. He's going to play a traditional point guard. So they have to get one in there. That's not going to make some of the same mistakes that we've seen made all year long. They got to do what they got to do. I hope some other point guard becomes available that I haven't talked about yet that makes a whole lot more sense than the four I've talked about on this pod. But as of right now, unfortunately, do not see it happening. That is where we're at right now on the point guard situation. And before I wrap things up, I do want to talk about, again, briefly, the backup center market. I don't need to go too far in depth on this. Uh, because this podcast is about what the Clippers are going to do. Having not landed Kyrie Irving, of course, that's completely uh, backup center is completely irrelevant when it comes to them not trading for Kyrie. It's a completely separate discussion. So I don't want to focus too much on this, but I still do believe the Clippers need to get one. Who? I'm not so sure. Similar to their point guard situation, I think they should go get the guy who is the cheapest for the type of production that he would provide. Of course, that sounds obvious. Like, duh, Joey, you want to go get the guy who's going to provide you the most and that you have to part with the little, you know, the least for. 
But you guys get what I'm saying. There's guys out there like Nas Reed, who, again, because he's on the Timberwolves, I don't even think he's available, who would cost a lot more than a guy like Drummond, for example. Like a guy like Plumlee is going to cost a lot more than a guy like Drummond. So the Clippers are going to have to weigh that balance. I'd imagine they probably make their backup center trade, if they even do make a backup center trade, after they make their point guard trade. Because you certainly don't want to part ways with an a- with assets to bring in a backup center that you should have used for a point guard. You don't want to do that. So I'd anticipate the center move coming second if it even does come. Uh, but that's a guy who's not going to play very many minutes. Uh, we have seen the Clippers go centerless so many times this season. I believe they'd be getting a little bit better at it as the year has gone on. So it's not as consequential to me uh, just in terms of the the role that that guy would have, which is why I haven't gone too far in depth on the unique candidates uh, for the Clippers backup center vacancy right now. Cause I just think it's going to be a guy who plays very little um, and really just spell zoo for maybe 10 minutes a game and probably zero minutes a game in the playoffs, if we're being honest. So that's the backup center situation right now. I wouldn't put too much focus on it. Cause one, I'm not even hundred percent sure the Clippers end up addressing it. And two, even if they do, it will be a very uh, minor move in terms of what goes out. Unless they do go get a guy like Christian Wood, which I don't really expect to happen. And I think it's more of a four anyways. Uh, But if the writing on the wall is correct, or if we're reading it correctly, I don't think the Clippers are going to make a big splash for a backup center in in the same way that they may try to attempt to make a big splash for a point guard. So that is about it. Those are my thoughts on where the Clippers are right now. Post Kyrie Irving trade. Kyrie Irving is a Dallas Maverick. We are going to see his Mavericks debut on Wednesday in Staples Center in Crypto.com Arena. That will be a lot of fun. No Luka, but we will have Kyrie. And before I forget, actually, I, I did want to hit on one more thing. I've talked a lot about you know trade candidates and certain things like that. I, I want to talk about where the Clippers are right now as a team. Because if you follow me on Twitter, uh, you know unless you know me and, and have been following me for a while, You might think I've been a little negative over the last few weeks, a little bit pessimistic, uh, even with the Clippers winning some games. I kind of wanted to break that down a little bit for you guys before we hop off this podcast, because if you follow me for a while, you know that I'm not I'm not a negative guy. I'm definitely not. At least I don't consider myself to be one of the the negative Clippers voices in this space. I, I wouldn't call it that, but I do call it how I see it. And that is one thing that I will continue to do and continue to be unapologetic about because that's who I am. And I personally think that's what I owe you guys as an analyst and a, and a reporter of this team. I don't believe it is my job to just gas up the Clippers when they're playing well and ignore it when they're not playing well. And on the flip side, I also don't think it's my job to just continuously bash the team and not give them any credit where it's due, which I don't believe I've done that. I think I've been pretty fair in my analysis, even if it comes across as negative. Uh, But I think that's warranted with some of what we've seen over the last few weeks and really over over the course of the season as a whole. But focusing in on the last few weeks, the Clippers have won 8 of 10 or 8 of 11, something like that. Six of their last seven, seven of their last eight, something like that. I don't know the exact uh, number of wins they've had and the exact number of games. They've been playing well in terms of their win-loss total. But I do have some serious concerns about some trends we've seen over the last several games. The late game execution has been disastrous on this road trip. They had poor late game execution in Chicago, 
disastrous late game execution in Milwaukee, maybe even worse late game execution in New York, and really bad late game execution in Brooklyn until the very, very end when Cam Thomas finally threw the ball away a couple times, missed some shots, and the Clippers capitalized off of that. The Clippers have not looked like a dominant team over the last few weeks, even if their record would suggest that. And if you really know basketball, and if you have really been watching this team with an analytical eye, I believe you would agree with that statement. Yes, they have escaped with some wins, but in Chicago, Milwaukee, New York, and Brooklyn, how dominant did they really look? Because they got three wins in those four games, but they certainly did not look like a championship-level basketball team at really any point of any of those games, except for perhaps the first half against Milwaukee when they were up big, but I think you can attribute that a lot to just Milwaukee missing shots. So that is where my concern stems from right now. And if you say, Joey, why are you being so negative? They're winning games. I don't even call it being negative. I just call it calling it as I see it. Because when you look at this team and the way they've executed down the stretch, and then you let your mind travel to the playoffs and you think, what if they bring this level of execution and effort into those games? You can really start to have some concerns. Now, is that fair to do? I'm not so sure because you could say they have so much more time until the playoffs, they'll clean things up, they'll be a different team by then. But we've also been saying that for months now, and yet here we are in February, and a lot of the same issues still persist. So because of that, I believe myself and others are completely justified in having concerns about some of the trends that we have seen persist, even during this stretch of wins. So that's what I have to say on that. I hope it makes sense. Again, I know some people prefer more positive voices, but I will always continue to keep it real because that's just how I'm wired. It's in my DNA. I can't do it any other way. That's just the way I roll. I'm going to call it how I see it. I know a lot of people appreciate appreciate that. Perhaps some of you don't, but it is what it is. That's what I'm going to continue to do. So I hope you guys enjoyed. Went a little bit longer on this one. Dang, 42 minutes. I was really, I was really going for a while. I hope you guys enjoyed. If you listen to the very end, I appreciate you more than you know. It means a lot. I do this for you guys. And until next time, much love and go Clippers.